Asian Pop Nation on Sin 90.7. Hello, hello. You are tuned in to Asian Pop Nation on Sin. This is your EP, Jesse, here to bring in the show today. Before my voice graced the airwaves, you guys heard a couple of tracks, including Heartache Frenzy by Regina Song, who is a Singaporean singer-songwriter, and Broken Melodies by NCT Dream, which is a pre-release single for their upcoming album in July. Other than me, you will also be hearing from some of our other APM members today, including Leisha, Lee, Zenya, Saruki, and Tracy. Our show today is very much centred around the theme of suffering, which was not what we initially had in mind when planning this, but it has become a very fitting description, as you will see. Um, We will first be delving into some controversy, some spicy tea, regarding comedian Jocelyn Chia and how her recent jokes about Malaysia have sparked anger and outrage amongst the Malaysian community. Speaking of outrage, we will also be doing a two-parter regarding Netflix's tendency to butcher live-action anime adaptations. After Avatar The Last Endbender and One Piece was revealed to be getting live-actions, Which, if you do not know, those two are some pretty famous and pretty popular animations. And lastly, to cap off this suffering-themed show, we will be discussing some of the recent food trends in China and Australia, including the white people food trend in China and stir-fried rocks. Before we jump right into the controversy around Jocelyn Chia, we will be playing a few more tracks, starting off with Loser at Best by Wallace. Hey guys, welcome back to Asian Pop Nation, where you guys just heard a couple of great tracks, starting off with On My Way by VNX, which is a track from a new boy group that just debuted. And you guys also heard Loser at Best by Wallace, and Feel Alive by Kat and Kalmel, which is a pop duo from Sydney. Now, coming up, we have some tea to spill regarding this comedian called Jocelyn Chia, and her beef with Malaysia, because she made a couple of controversial jokes in one of her shows that has sparked outrage and anger amongst the internet community. But what makes it different is it became something else outside of the internet when a certain something happened. So uh, I will just pass the mic right along to Leisha. Hello, everyone, dear listeners of APN and my fellow APN crew over here. I want to take you guys on a journey, basically into the behind the scenes of what an average uh, Asian family WhatsApp group chat has looked like in the past two weeks or so because of this one particular story that has just, even thinking about it as a fellow Malaysian here, this kind of riles me up a little bit. Essentially, there has been this whole viral fiasco going on with this comedian. Her name is Jocelyn Chai. She is an American comedian who basically spent a lot of her time like growing up in Singapore. She is, from my knowledge, like Singaporean, but she's not like based in Singapore anymore, nor has like Singaporean citizenship anymore. But basically, she is a lawyer turned comedian. A couple weeks ago, she posted online a clip of her stand-up set at Manhattan's Comedy Cellar. This clip went viral for not-so-good reasons. I'm pretty sure if you just type up her name, you can find the clip online for yourself. And here on APN, I won't be able to go into detail about what she says. But to sum up what this clip from her stand-up set 
was talking about was basically her making a lot of quote-unquote jokes and commentary about the rivalry between Singapore and Malaysia. And if you guys are not familiar, when I say rivalry, I mean it's like a very, I don't know, it's like sibling rivalry, I would say. Lee, agree, yes, no. Um, yes. Yes, it's a lot more of like a sibling rivalry between the two countries, basically. But it's like a tale as old as time, basically. And she was doing a whole moment where she was joking about this rivalry, but in a not pleasant way at all. She kind of made a lot of negative comments about Malaysia. She even like directly was calling out an audience member who was Malaysian there as well. Very awkward to watch. Joked along the lines of like how Malaysia is like a developing country and we're like much more far behind from Singapore, even though both countries used to be part of the same nation way back when, all that type of stuff. And then the big one, she made a reference about the missing MH370 flight, a pretty big tragedy that's still kind of, I would say, plagues the country till this day. And this is where things went haywire, guys. Oh my god. This is where, like, Facebook, WhatsApp group chats go wild because <laughs> after this clip went viral and everyone going haywire, it blew up pretty much mainly from Malaysians who found the clip and were like, now what? What the heck is this? And it got to the point where even... Singaporean ministers, like official government ministers, like the Singapore foreign minister made a tweet on behalf of this whole situation, apologizing to Malaysians, basically saying how they were like appalled by what she said and that she didn't speak for Singaporeans and that they always like treasured their ties with our family and friends in Malaysia and apologize for the offense and hurt caused to all Malaysians. It was just a whole thing. Something which existed in like a small TikTok circle has ended up now in like national news everywhere. Government officials are like talking about it and it's like, what? Oh my gosh. And you know, as a fellow Malaysian, this was like our moment to be like, yeah, that's right. You said this. And now we're just gonna kind of revel in the fact that, yes, apologize to us for this terrible situation, even though it kind of escalated in ways that nobody was expecting. But when I say things escalated, um, it gets worse. And not from Singapore's end, from my motherland end. <laughs> God. So basically, after this whole situation happened, the Malaysian police said, no, no, this situation is not over. Because what's currently happening is that the Malaysian police chief, um, they want to request Interpol into tracking um, Jocelyn Chai down. <laughs> yeah! They want basically to find like her latest location, find her full identity, and track her down. And that is where the story is at the moment. I just want to ask you guys first, what are your thoughts about this whole situation? <laughs> Drama! Only in Southeast Asia. <laughs> oh my it's just god. just so funny to me because how many times has like a comedian said something controversial and then everyone on the internet is like, wow, this sucks. They shouldn't have said that. And then it ends there. But in this situation, it escalated to the point of like Singapore, Malaysian, like political diplomacy and like Interpol. Malaysia could have just left it and been the bigger person and be like, yeah, thanks for apologizing. But no, Interpol, bam. <laughs> We have to pull the damn Interpol card out of nowhere. Like, why? <laughs> That's just where you know you took, like, the extra step too far. 
question. Like, did she ever apologize for her words? I don't know if she should apologize. I'm not quite sure. I'm in, like, the middle of, like, trying to understand the whole concept. Oh, yeah. Basically, to answer your first question, no, she has not apologized, basically. Um, I think she kind of has gone for the route that I think a lot of people who have got publicity in a way on social media kind of go. I think she's kind of riding on that train right now of like, oh my gosh, everyone knows my name now because of this controversy. Uh, instead of apologizing to A, like making jokes about an actual tragedy that occurred in the country. Families of victims of the plane incident have spoken up as well, saying how like kind of messed up it is to joke about something that's still very sensitive in this country. Um, but she is kind of going on the I don't care, bad publicity is still publicity kind of route, you know? I was going to say about the publicity, like this could be like publicity for her to be like getting more recognition and more business maybe but i don't know if it's effective i think i know what you're trying to say that her train of thought yeah there's like the saying that like no press is bad press so even if it's incredibly controversial it's still good because it gets your name out there so you're asking if if this situation had never happened would she be better off or is she better off now now that this whole controversy has happened and people know her but for like negative reasons yes I mean, Interpol, um, like, she could just be in jail. (laughs) No, Interpol not gonna take that seriously, bro. Like, oh my god. Yeah, they're gonna be like, who cares? Exactly, like, oh my gosh. As, like, a fellow Malaysian, hello, Lee, Satu Malaysia. Like, the joke itself and the stuff that she's saying, not amazing. Like, Mm -hmm. terrible, terrible. I I will... I will flat out just say it's like awful. Like the uproar and all the stuff that has come across, like I think quite justified. Minus the part where Interpol is coming into play. That's when I think we're taking it yeah. a bit too far. But yeah, I think also she is like a comedian that's based in the US. So her demographic, it's not going to be a crowd where it's predominantly Southeast Asian or anything. So I don't think it will affect her career much in my opinion but yeah i don't know man she's been sort of acting quite nonchalant about it like publicly facing but she's also seems to have concerns about like maybe potentially getting arrested when she goes back to singapore yeah she's like thinking about like trying to reach out to some lawyers and stuff for that sort of thing literally Um, yeah so basically yeah in terms of like the actual joke and why people met. Like, I'm sure by now she'll, like, get it because people have shouted about it many times. There's a lot of Malaysian and Singapore uh, Singaporean comedians that I've seen online that have, like, posted their take on the whole situation. And, like, basically, yeah, the entire, like, comedy space within Malaysia and Singapore have said their piece about it. So I'm sure she knows... Like, she knows what is up, but it's clearly she's definitely playing, like, a whole part of kind of, like, ooh, like, aha, publicity, am I right? Like, I don't (laughs) The US comic circuit is a bit, like, more willing to talk about more controversial things. Like, they make 9-11 jokes and stuff. Like, Pete Davidson's whole shtick was that his dad died in 9-11 and now he jokes about it as a coping mechanism. But... The golden rule with that sort of thing is that you never punch down. <laughs> and mm. I think that's where she went wrong because, like, everything she says about Malaysia being less well off than Singapore, you know, it 
it's not funny because you're sort of insulting a country that they're not in a, a position of power compared to you or anything. So it feels really wrong, just like on a moral level. Yeah. And also for like, Lee probably knows, but like for any Malaysian Singaporean person basically knows, it's a tale as old as time. Like we've heard every single thing about like, oh, food is better in Malaysia. Oh, but Singapore has this, but Malaysia doesn't yeah. have blah, blah, blah. It's like the same stick. We've yeah. heard it like every single every single time every year it's nothing new but like so... people don't get offended by that it's just like a haha joke like you said um like sibling fighting but oh my gosh again despite the fact that this situation has occurred what i want to say like two three weeks ago by the time this air it'll be like three four weeks people are still talking about it and she is still getting all the traction about it like it is a wild situation at the moment and i guess still ongoing depending on how the whole political space goes around with it but i guess if any of you guys have thoughts about this whole jocelyn chai situation let us know through asian pop nation on our facebook twitter and instagram this is your ep speaking and you are tuned in to asian pop nation on sin where we just spilled all the tea about jocelyn chia and her beef with malaysia while this controversy has certainly grown beyond the reaches of the internet because the foreign minister of singapore had to get involved perhaps it'll still turn out to be publicity for jocelyn um we can't say it's good publicity but publicity nonetheless Welcome back to Asian Pop Nation on Sin. You guys, of course, just heard a couple of tracks, starting off with Give Mine by Viva Ola. And before that, you guys heard Princess Bubblegum by Airlifts. And even more before that, you guys heard Fallen by Miso featuring Rad Museum. Now, all our anime fans out there, all our anime fan listeners out there, I guess I should say, uh would be familiar with the mixed feelings we have about this something called live actions. And in general, live actions have a reputation for not being very good or not really meeting the expectations of fans of the original anime slash manga. And Netflix in particular is very notorious for producing live actions that are not very good. Um, Don't quote me on that. But... Us here at Asian Pop Nation would like to discuss two of the upcoming live-action announcements that Netflix has just made, and it is actually for two shows that are insanely popular and insanely good. Avatar The Last Airbender, and the other one is One Piece. Now, if even if none of... Even if you guys aren't exactly anime fans, I'm sure that you've at least heard of these two shows, at least at some point. But they're very famous, they're very popular, and Netflix has decided to make live actions out of them. And so we will be doing a two-parter discussing this, starting off with Avatar The Last Airbender. So I am just going to throw straight to the team. So I think there's like an unspoken rule for like an anime or an animation. To be great, they have to have like a little rite of passage where they get an absolute trash live action adaption. 
Um, so in the past, there's been like Dragon Ball Evolution, Death Note, Cowboy People. Oh, and they're back. Netflix is back. So they had this event where they were announcing all the future shows that they're doing and they're bringing back another live action Avatar The Last Airbender. Anyone got any thoughts? Oh yeah, I, I would preface that basically with the Avatar thing. All they kind of revealed was, I mean, people knew that they were doing the live action thing for a while, but this was like the first... Ooh, like still shots of the four main characters. And then they posted it online for all people to look and judge. And by the main four, I mean like Aang, Katara, Sokka, and Zuko. Mm. And yeah, it's just shots of the four of them in the fits, in the environment in which they're filming this. And yeah, there's a lot of thoughts about it. I mean, what do you think, Lee, when you saw these photos? Um... Okay, I mean, after their first Avatar The Last Airbender live action, the bar is so low right now. Ah, <laughs> uh, the M. Night Shyamalan one. Wait, have you guys- oh, oh, have you guys seen that version before? I have not watched no. it. No. I'm not gonna touch it with a 10-foot pole. What? Either. Only I have the trauma of it. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my- what? Okay, I mean- Yes, it is as bad as people say. So I- I do see, like, yeah, Lee, the bar is quite low. I personally, I don't know if this version is going to up it anytime soon. Only because from my knowledge, there was a lot of hoo-ha. Oh my gosh, that's such an old phrase to say. Um, <laughs> There was a lot of like commotion. There we go. Commotion. When this was like announced that Netflix were creating this because I think the original creators of Avatar, mm. the animated series, they were originally a part of this live action one. But then they made a whole statement basically afterwards saying that they were bailing out of the project basically. And this was when everyone was like, oh god, okay, it's gonna be yeah. like, it's gonna be the M. Night Shyamalan situation 2.0. And seeing these photos, I'm also the same as Lee, but I'm like, okay, the hype for me is not really there. I'm just very scared. Oh my god. I mean, do you guys even think about like, when you watch Avatar, do you think of like, ooh, I wonder how this would be in a live action form? No. <laughs> yeah exactly it's already like such a great show i'm looking forward more to the next movie that they've announced for yes 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 that one see yeah good good thing you mentioned it then because i literally forgot that yeah they have like the whole Mm -hmm. avatar studios which is where the original creators are like a part of that one and they have so much ideas of like Ooh, we're gonna bring out like the original cars like older. They have plans of doing stuff with like Korra and things like that. And it's like I'm looking more forward to these, like yeah. an expansion of what we already know and love from the animation. Like I just live actions, especially for this, which is known as like ooh pinnacle of animated shows. It's not it. Like I don't get it. But before I get heated up about Avatar. I know that there is a particular other live action announcement which gets two of our team members, Jesse and Lee, specifically riled up. The One Piece announcement. I mean, they already announced it, but this is the trailer that I just got... dropped. <sighs> Jesse and Lee's Ride or Die anime. Mm. Tell tell us more of what did they do? Hmm? What was okay. announced? Let's start with what One Piece is before this live action. Um, it's basically this anime that started airing in 1999, I think, by Eiichiro Oda. And it's pretty much about Luffy and his friends who are pirates and they're on this journey to find the legendary treasure, the One Piece. 
and also if you find the one piece you become the king of the pirates so that's what luffy wants to do with his gang for the live action version this is the cast it's inaki godoi as monkey d luffy <laughs> emily rudd as nami jacob romero gibson as usopp has Skylar as Sanji and Makenyu Maeda as Soro. So I don't know any of these people except for Makenyu, who has been in a lot of other live action adaptions of animes for some reason. Um, so he's been in Full Metal Alchemist, um, Chihaya Furu, another Full Metal, three Full Metal Alchemist movies, Tokyo Ghoul live action, Pacific Rim. Uprising, Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, and then the only one that was actually good was Roroni Kenshin, and he was the villain in that. So the trailer was released for the live-action One Piece. What do you think, Jesse, as a fellow One Piece watcher? God, um, where do I start? First off, my first impression of it was that it seemed like the personalities of the characters have been had been changed slightly, just based on what they were, like the the scripting, like the scripting of it was so weird. Like, there was that one point when Luffy was like, I'm sensing tension among the crew. He would never he, say that. He would never say that. He is so dense. He would never say that. I heard that and I was like, that is not Luffy. What is going on? As far as, like, they they showed a lot of, like, the sets, like the going merry and, like, I'm pretty sure they showed Burati as well. And mm-hmm. a lot of, like, the really classic settings of the earlier episodes slash chapters of One Piece. And the set looks pretty good. I'm not yeah. gonna lie, the set looks pretty good. But the action scenes, bro. Okay, so there's action scenes like the ones in Ruining Kenshin, but that's considered one of the only live actions that are actually good and have really good action scenes, really good story, all that kind of stuff. There's action scenes like that in Ruining Kenshin. And then there are action scenes in this trailer that looked very... um, You know how when you're choreographing action scenes, um, if you do it well, it looks very believable. When you do it kind of weirdly, it looks choreographed. And so that's what the action scenes kind of felt like in this trailer. And there was this one part at the very end of the trailer when Luffy does his classic like it's like the his pistol attack like his gomu gomu no pistol attack um that one his arms go really long no it's yeah kind of it's like the one that he kind arm. of throws back and his arm stretches really long and it's like it comes back and it punches um yeah and like the way they animated that it's just so strange there's just some things you can do in animation that you cannot replicate in live action and this is one of them it does remind me of like the fantastic four um (laughs) movie because there's like the one character that can really stretch his arms or anything yeah it's pretty much like that (laughs) it's quite reminiscent of that i will be honest (laughs) i was gonna say the costumes as well they look pretty bad like buggy is one of I guess he's one of the main antagonists. Um, so he's supposed to be a clown, but he's like actually kind of cool in the anime. But in the live action, like he just looks so strange. Like everyone, everyone looks strange. Also, like when you were saying before, Jesse, like everyone's um acting. Zoro is just portrayed as this like really mad guy all the time, and he's not like that in the anime. Like he's just I don't know. It, like his this is wrong. We are back here at Asian Pop Nation. I am, of course, your EP, Jesse, where we just talked a bit of beef about upcoming Netflix adaptations, including Avatar The Last Airbender and One Piece. But this is not all. We will have more thoughts to share about One Piece in our next little segment. 
Yo, 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 you are tuned in to Asian Pop Nation on Sin, where we just heard, again, a couple of great tracks, starting off with Positive Vibe by Kokona, which is from their new EP, I. We also heard Connection by Rimba, which is from a band from Indonesia. And before that, we heard Nemesis by Sero, which is from their new album, EO. Now, coming up next, we will be continuing to discuss some of our thoughts about the new upcoming One Piece adaptation, which we're not we're not super hopeful for, but behold our thoughts. I, I think the thing with One Piece is that it's such a it's very it has a lot of like supernatural and like fantasy aspects to it. And especially when like if you try to merge real life actors and acting with like animation and things like that, it's hard to get right. And in the case of Netflix doing adaptations and live actions like this, they usually don't do it right. Especially because One Piece even as like the way it is drawn in the manga and the way it is animated in anime, it's very exaggerated and that's even harder to pull off in a live action so I'm not sure why they decided it would be a good idea to do a live action of One Piece and especially since it's like such a beloved series as well so there's gonna be a lot of eyes on it and if it flops which it's kind of looking like it is right like Um, you'd think because One Piece is so big they'd do it right but no no (laughs) One Piece they got it's probably because it's so big that they tried to do it and if it fails, at least some people are going to watch it because mm. they're curious to see what it's like. Yeah, some people are like excited for it and also curious. But I think us being skeptical is kind of justified because their track record. Oh yeah, and then I wanted to say about the track record because I was thinking about it as Jesse was talking specifically as well. It just made me think of like Netflix's route of doing live adaptations of animes that... Most of them tend to have quite, like, I find, like, I I don't know how to explain it. I I find, like, their stories are best told in an animated form because there's so much, there's so much going on, like, powers and and crazy shenanigans that can only be, I feel like, perfectly replicated in, like, an animated form. And some just have very, like, unique art styles as well, which fit, like, the storytelling and stuff like that. So I'm always just kind of thinking about, like, why does Netflix keep wanting to do adaptations of shows like Avatar Lost Airbender and One Piece, where it's everything is much more, like, I don't know, the visually there's so much power elements, you have to do so much CGI, and it just doesn't portray in the way that fans want, I don't know, the fans, like, see it in animated form, I guess. Yeah, I think when they first started it's like we're gonna do this right like actually right but then i guess there's things like you know like politics and money and then like i don't know i guess that all like sort of makes like even with the um avatar one the creators are like oh we've stepped away now like this is not what we envisioned so there has to be like stuff like that that affect unfortunately how it turns out I just feel like as well, anime has so many different genres that like, I feel like you could do a live adaptation of stuff that is not purely in the shonen or like action realm, stuff that involves so heavily on like the animation, the visuals and stuff. I don't know, like a slice of life question mark. I don't know. Yeah, but no one would watch that, I think. Or like not a lot of people would, unless they're like, oh, I love this anime, so I'm going to go watch it. I mean, you are right, because I feel like a lot of fan base. Oh, webtoons! That are getting live actions as well. K-drama. So I'm like, yeah. Oh, that, that, thanks. 
that reminds me netflix did this um adaptation of like this web this webtoon of sweet home and that was oh, like what are the ones so that right. they actually did kind of right they had a lot of hype behind that one as yeah, well every and, week people be yeah talking about it the was new... like so from memory the cgi wasn't that bad it wasn't like top tier obviously but like i think the characters and like the story itself like the source material kind of spoke for itself because it was like a very good and very popular webtoon at the time and it probably still is and then we get to one piece and the cgi of lucy's pistol punch and i i, I do not <laughs> I maybe do it's not. the fact that they had a korean director <laughs> i also i also also wanted to say that like especially in one piece sometimes the humor that can come through in like manga and animation if you get a normal person to say it and try to execute it it just doesn't come off right which i guess is part of the reason why some of the main characters their personality and like their i guess the funnier part of the show seem kind of missing in this trailer so yeah any final thoughts guys well only one way to find out if it will be good or not Watching on it. august 31st when it's released or scheduled to be released i don't know i just my final thoughts are just i i don't see the harm of like i don't know like celebrating animation as like a whole and stuff like that i just don't really get the whole purpose of like i don't i don't know maybe i'm like worn out i'm burned out by the amount of live action adaptations of like everything animated which some can be good i know but i think it's just like such a burnout and it's like <laughs> I don't know. I just want really good new animated stuff. I don't want like live action adaptation number a thousand from Netflix. Like, I don't know. I'm I'm tired. <laughs> um so uh to our listeners out there who have just heard us rant about the possible flop that the new One Piece adaptation might be. I probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> but to our listeners out there who have any thoughts of this new upcoming One Piece live action adaptation yeah do let us know on asian pop nation across facebook instagram and twitter if you guys are longtime fans of one piece we would definitely like to know your thoughts you are still tuned in to asian pop nation on sin we just discussed some of our thoughts about one piece the live action which is coming out on netflix in 2024 if i remember correctly but um in summary there are just some things that isn't transferred very well into a live action, I guess, medium. Some things are best kept as animation or manga because it can be expressed better that way, uh, especially something as supernatural and exaggerated as One Piece. But regardless, if you guys have any opposing thoughts or thoughts or opinions that you agree with us, about this please let us know on asian pop nation across facebook instagram and twitter welcome back to asian pop nation you guys just heard of may taker by a school and natsumi and before that you guys heard tokyo addiction by noah and finally toast by claudia now speaking of toast and food in general we are continuing on this trend of suffering and we shall be talking about white people food, which is a trend that is trending in China currently because of their lack of flavor and effort. Basically, that is the whole premise of this trend. But um, I shall let the other APN members uh, explain it a little bit more. 
So far today, we've talked a bit about Malaysian-Singapore relations and also live-action animes. Continuing on the theme of suffering that we seem to have established, um, today we're going to be talking about what Chinese people call the food of suffering, aka what they've lovingly termed white people food. Um, you may have seen videos of this circulating on TikTok, but basically recently the Chinese internet has become fascinated by white people lunches, white people food. And this originated from like Chinese international students and also just Chinese people working in white people countries, posting to platforms like Xiaohongshu pictures of people eating their normal everyday white people food. I think one of the main videos that was an impetus for this movement was this one video of like a woman in Switzerland on a train preparing a meal where she wraps ham in lettuce and then puts mustard on it and then shoves it into her mouth, leading to a commenter saying, today I saw how far white people food could go. This white people food being started with a lot of incredulity at the fact that people are eating these foods every single day. Um, but over time, people have developed a sort of half ironic, half real appreciation for it because of its convenience compared to, you know, traditional Chinese cuisine where you have to like put more than three ingredients in a pot together and apply heat to it, um, which is something that typically doesn't happen with these white people foods that people are sharing. Recently, the English-speaking internet has gone wind of this, and so there's been a bunch of articles, YouTube videos, TikTok videos, explaining this phenomenon and like translating comments from Chinese sites. And we have put them in a convenient list so that we may share them with you all. Who wants to start? Oh my gosh! Let me put my hand up here with the yes, first, <laughs> with the first one that I saw. That stood out to me and was the first one that you also put on the little list of quotes. It's just a user writing. The point of the white people's meal is to learn what it feels like to be dead. But I've taken two bites and it's so bad it made me realize how alive I am. Oh my god. <laughs> it's in response to a photo of just plain crackers, cheese, and ham. So like, I don't know, like an average lunchable meal. It's I could so shed beautiful. a tear. I could shed a tear. <laughs> Another Xiaohongshu user posted a picture of their colleague's lunch consisting of a few baby carrots and some raw spinach leaves. And they said, have they evolved to a point where they can generate energy without eating actual food? This goes back to a common descriptor of white people food, which is rabbit food. My mom uses that expression like all the time when we're like eating salad and stuff. She's like, mm, yes, rabbit food. And I'm like, <laughs> right? I, I just love how poetic people get about it like someone describes it as like lawless and outrageous yes and then beautiful and then in that one they call it like oh white people food is the lunch of suffering oh my gosh i think that's so satisfying to me because it's like a complete reversal of what it was like to grow up as a kid right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. You guys are all, agree, all asian I kids agree. who had to go to schools where I'm bullied for it's like in your dumplings. yeah Exactly. In your heart, you know that the food that your mom giving you is like fire, yeah. but you're begging her to give you like terrible, boring peanut food. Peanut like, butter sandwiches? Like, please give me a peanut butter sandwiches cut diagonally. Please give me like one of those cheese sticks that is like stringy. Please give me like one of those yogurt tubs. In a tube, yuck. Yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah, you're just begging your mom for that every day. It's like, please, I just want my lunch to be boring. So it's good that like, 
people from the motherland find white people food absolutely horrifying to the point of like philosophical contemplation. Trauma bonding. Yes. I really like that what you said though, Tracy. I did not think about it till like right now that yeah, this is like it feels like a reversal moment. A little like aha gotcha moment of enduring uh school time and just bringing a nice box of uh, curry and people being like oh my god that stinks the entire room <laughs> and did the teacher ever make you eat outside lol <gasps> oh my gosh though i feel at work you know that doesn't happen anymore i think people have learned from that that's exclusively something that happens with the children even when i was in primary school it was like people would like ridicule your food in front of their friends and then they'd go to you and be like hey can i have like a like a handful of that yes <laughs> oh my oh god, my god tracy why don't we all just unlock a core memory? Core <laughs> trauma. But um, with this sort of Chinese people and the white people food ethos, because it is like sort of like an ethos now, um, it's found a lot of support with the young professionals in China because the idea is that because it's the lunch of suffering, it's the perfect food to bring to work every day. <laughs> you know, after all, these lunches are, quote, not for enjoyment, but to find guilt. In this way, I can always remind myself that I am here to work. Isn't that great? That is such a, like... It's so beautiful. That concept is so crazy to me. Of, like, just being like, "Mm, yeah, this is actually perfect for work. Yeah, it reminds me of everything I hate about being here. (laughs) And I can go home and have my nice Asian food later as a reward. And treat myself. I think the whole concept of it is, like, Recently, Chinese internet youth culture has sort of trended towards not bothering to resist anymore, like lying flat. I've seen a lot of articles, right, like connecting this white people food thing to like the lying flat movement. And oh. like, uh, not really. I think it's just like mm. general attitudes in the youth. I don't think like that caused this. I think they were symptoms of the same thing. But it's like instead of resisting. So instead of like putting hours into preparing lovely, delicious meals, you just do the bare minimum to get by and you have to care about one less thing. So I guess like that's one reason why people might see the benefit of these white people meals. But it's very funny the way they go about it. Like they literally say, after I, do- I adopted the mentality that I eat in order not to die from starvation, white people's food became appealing to me. <laughs> uh but yeah, on the other hand, some people are sort of calling people out on this, being like, you're crazy. Why would you ever want to eat white people's food? With one person saying, if you feel like you are surrendering to white people's food for the sake of convenience, that's actually very depressing. And you might want to consider implementing some changes in your life. But it's so funny because all these pictures in these tags, they're not like outrageous. They're like things I've actually seen people like eat at work. <laughs> like Yeah, exactly. On like a day-to-day basis. Yeah. You can pay $10 to get like an egg and spinach sandwich. Like you can do that. And that's considered normal. Whereas like Chinese people would be like, why are you spending so much money on <gasps> You're surrendering level? yourself to despair and then- <laughs> You're surrendering to despair and convenience. So uh, I kind of had the purported uh, white people food for lunch today. Um, that's yeah, right. I, I got a, like a wrap from like Coles and I was like, yep, that's going to be my work lunch. No, and ironically Coles. enough, I ate it at work as well. It's so depressing, <laughs> Jesse. why are you? It actually wasn't too bad. <sighs> this reminds me of the time I went to Glen Prairie Station. And there's like the Woolies at Glenbury Station. They were selling something I'd never seen, like sold in any other Woolies. And that was like literally boiled eggs and spinach. 
in like oh. little capsule. Oh, that's the one that you sent us before. I swear. Yeah. Yes, it I've was seen super the photo. bewildering to me. It was the saddest thing I'd ever seen. I'd be like, how is this saleable? Like, who looks at this and is like, I want to eat this. And you can also, it's something that you can prepare so easily. Yeah, no. Like, I, it's I'll... so quick to just boil eggs and put spinach. Like, why would you buy that? It like defeats the purpose. Like, it's not tasty. Convenience. It's not appealing. It's not, you don't save that much on convenience. So, yeah, that that was a white people food moment for me. I also want to say that while I was in line to pay for my white people food today, the guy in front of me had bought, like, three packets of, like, lettuce, like, pre-made salad lettuce sets, and I was like, yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Salad is the food of suffering. (laughs) All white people food is just different iterations of salad. Or, like, bread around salad. Can you put it that way? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> <sighs> Isn't that depressing? Well, we have some other stories about food and Chinese people coming up next. It just doesn't um, end. It just doesn't <laughs> end. There's there's a lot of content to be had about this. You know, Chinese people love their food. They love their weird food. And they love their white people food. See you next segment. This is Asian Pop Nation, your resident Asian culture and music show on Sin. You guys just heard all about the white people food trend in China. And it is honestly pretty funny how much of a reversal this is from our experiences as Asian Australians here. And how people used to laugh at our food. But um, when you think about it, the points they made about white people food is kind of true. But uh, regardless... Um, before we jump into our next segment, continuing on this food trend, we will be talking about stir-fried rocks and rice cookers. Now, if you guys want to know what the deal is about all that, definitely stay tuned. Welcome back to Asian Pop Nation on Sin, where you guys just heard a series of rock tracks, starting off with Eureka by Natori, who is a 20-year-old Japanese singer-songwriter. You guys also heard So What by Snake Chicken Soup, and Letters to My Exes by Emma Yue, who is an Asian-Australian singer-songwriter. Speaking of rock and rocks in particular, you guys know Asian food. Um, you guys know that Asian food is very reliant on a lot of stir-frying and quick cooking and also a lot of rice most times. So we will be talking about this um, recent dish that, from China that has been trending. It is stir-fried rocks. And yes, you heard that right. Stir-fried rocks. We will also be talking about a bit of controversy, I guess, regarding an article um, that talked about f- how rice cookers are a must-have and how the commenters thought otherwise. Hello, hello, listeners. You are at Asian Pop Nation. And um, in our previous little segment, we talked a bit about the white people food that is trending in China currently. Now, as a bit of a second parter to this, we have something else that also came from China. And I like to start off this little segment with a little bit of an anecdote. A few days ago, maybe it was more like a week ago, I was scrolling through TikTok as you do, um, and I came across this video. It was of a street vendor in China that was selling something very, very unique. He was selling stir-fried rocks. And by stir-fried rocks, he was literally stir-frying legit rocks 
with spices and like sauces and things like that. And he stir fried a portion and he served it to this customer in a little paper plate. And before he did, he explained to the customer how you're supposed to eat it. And I put eat in quotation marks um, because you're not actually supposed to eat it. You're supposed to put the rock in your mouth, suck the flavor and like the sauces and the spices out of it and then spit it out. You're not supposed to eat the rock, full disclosure. <laughs> and apparently this is a dish called sword deal. And it is a very weird dish that originated with fishermen in the Hubei province. And it, it has actually been around for hundreds of years and was only eaten when food supplies were extremely scarce. And this dish usually consists of river rocks, which are supposed to have like a fishy flavor from all the fish that populate it. And it is stir-fried with various spices and sauces to release a slightly fishy flavor. So yeah, I'm gonna put the question out to the rest of our APN members and um, do you, have you guys seen this? What are your thoughts? Would you try it? I would try it. It kind of looks really good. <laughs> um yeah i mean if there was like pieces of meat in it like i think i would enjoy it more but you kind of just have to suck on the rock and then spit it out i don't know it still kind of looks pretty good to me anyone else sounds really disgusting though like you pick a rock from the road and like they probably wash it but even though like they, you just pick up a rock and hand it to them and sort of you it just sounds nasty though it doesn't sound right it sounds <laughs> disgusting like i don't care what they do like put salt and pepper in it but i know you don't bite into the rock but that's going to give you a huge amount of dental bills if you accidentally will were to bite into it so that would be a no from me like it's understandable like probably like centuries ago like if fishermen were to do that it's like a food shortage but like when there's like food accessible to people it's just questionable like why it just i mean i would say it'll be a pretty uh, pretty slayful business venture if you have the stall like right next to a dentist's office or something like this would this would slap so hard sales would be skyrocketing businesses will be thriving <laughs> but i i i'm unfortunately i am also on the same boat not necessarily on the disgusting train but i would probably not eat it as well i'm sorry lee you're alone in this i you guys are boring oh excuse me okay wait i just wanted to say this reminds me of when i was younger and I was making friends with people when I first came to Australia. And then these kids telling me like, oh, yes, like when I was a kid, I used to eat like the dirt off the like the ground or like, I used to like nibble on like the pebbles on the ground. And I would literally be like, what are Australian kids on? Because this is so like out of my wheelhouse. And this is just reminding me of those days. Like, I just don't I'm a texture person when it comes to food and I don't. I don't get You don't like rock appeal. texture? Yeah, no, Tracy. Not even smooth river rocks? I've had it before and I don't like it. No, <laughs> I just don't like the food eating sensation of having to just suck on a rock and that is how you get the flavor profiles from. And that's like it. Mm, delicious, complete, yummy on my tummy. Like, <laughs> it's just not... Like, I don't know. It's not a pleasant eating sensation in my opinion, but what do the rest of you guys think? Yeah, so basically this food is a food of desperation. It's a food of a bunch of people who had no actual food to eat, so they delude themselves into thinking that, that they're eating by preparing inedible things in a way that would, you know, that they would usually do with actual food. 
Yeah, so basically it's like the perfect inverse of like the white people food situation. No flavor. No flavor at all, no joy, just suffering and the reminder that you eat not to starve. Whereas with with stir-fried rocks, they're trying to make something out of absolutely nothing. They have nothing to eat, so they're basically like, hey, let's get a bunch of rocks and sort of zhuzh them up. And then juice them up um, the way you would like an actual dish. It's like adding scallions, adding ginger, um, adding heat to it, which is something that doesn't usually traditionally happen in white people food. (laughs) So, yeah, I think it's pretty neat that these two things sort of went viral on the Chinese side of the internet sort of around the same time and were sort of came floating down to us on the English speaking side of the internet via TikTok because they're like perfect inversions of each other and now we have another story about i guess asian people and foods but this one comes from australia from the australian speaking Ah, side of the internet right here at home we spend (laughs) we we were talking all the way in china you guys may be like oh hee hee ha ha like this is all like in china whatnot and we're like no there's stuff happening down here as well and tracy what is the 411 what is the situation here basically Beloved YouTuber Natalie Tran is at the centre of this story. She is hosting the new season of The Great Australian Bake Off. We love it. She's great. She's an icon. If you don't know who Natalie Tran is, rectify that immediately. But anyway, um, as part of the promo for this new season of The Bake Off show, she wrote a, a cute little column for The Guardian. It's very lighthearted. She just talks about her favourite things. They include like a sock she found that has like a dog on a, you know, a random hair thing. And another one of her favorite objects was her trusty rice cooker. And actually the thing, what she wrote about her rice cooker actually fits in pretty well with what we've been talking about previously. So basically, even though eating has been rumored to be vital to staying alive, my laziness dominates and sometimes nighttime will will arrive before I've eaten anything. My mother once gifted me a mini one-person rice cooker when I was about to be on the road for a few months. She knew it would be the only way I would eat. And then she goes on to basically joke that rice cookers should be like something that everyone has in their home and that if you don't have a rice cooker, that should be illegal. Which is pretty funny because that is, that is like exactly what we were talking about with the white people food, like minimal food that you don't have to put effort into. But anyway, The Guardian took this column and they basically decided to title it with three things with Natalie Tran. I don't know how people don't have rice cookers. It should be illegal. At which point... The Guardian commenters came out of the woodwork and were outraged at her in the comment section. Um, She posted, I think, one of these comments to her Instagram, which is where I found out about this. And it's so funny to me because it comes from a guy called The Rationalist. Already hilarious. So he says, I am assuming it's a he. Not everyone eats rice or cooks rice every day. So a rice cooker is a non-essential kitchen appliance. I hope she's only joking, saying that it should be legally required to have a rice cooker in the kitchen, which hints at a dictatorial and condescending attitude. (laughs) And the rest of the comment section has a lot of fun tidbits about people who are like, my rice cooker is a saucepan, a lid and a clock. And like how rice cookers are like evil and ungroovy and yeah a lot of pro like saucepan people <laughs> like cooking the stovetop kind of propaganda basically <laughs> you can't cook rice like it's pasta it's just not done 
saucepan and like a lid and like then like a gas stove top is like technically a rice cooker is like the modernized version and like has self-timer already built in it's like more convenient to like have a rice cooker at hand to cook rice like why is it just this is awkward because jesse doesn't have a rice cooker oh okay okay i have an excuse okay hold up hold up whoa (laughs) um so we did a rice cooker but it broke so since then, we have been using a pressure cooker. It, we have not been okay. using a saucepan, a lid, and a timer. Okay, we're not that caveman, okay? But another thing I also wanted to say is, like, there's a lot of comments that are like, we have no space for this single-use appliance. And then there's, there's like, people who have toasters. What are toasters? Single-use appliances? Whoa, whoa. I thought that for a second you were about to be like, nah, what's the point of toasters? And I was going to start, like, I'm like, guys, con appliances, can't we all be a happy appliance family? Because I love my toasters, too. That's so right. Like, it's a staple food. It's like appliance that processes your staple food. Like, it's the same thing. I was going to say another like um, little gadget that people use that just sit in the corner is a coffee machine. And like, as if that doesn't take enough space with the coffee, like pods or like bags of coffee, like as if that doesn't do anything, like how should a rice cooker make any difference? Wow, (laughs) the appliance war, because Lee, aren't you a coffee? Don't you like to make a nice cup of coffee? <laughs> I have a coffee machine on my counter. <laughs> but how we do it is that the really heavy things we leave on the counter and then we have a cabinet that's just under the counter. So we put like toasters and air fryers there and then the actual rice cooker gets its own special spot on the other side. And we literally use it every day. So, you know, there's no point putting it away. That's how a civilized person should live. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think that's a perfect place to leave it. Um... I hope you've enjoyed this little two-parter food segment thing we've got going for tonight's show. Yeah. And hopefully if you don't have a rice cooker, we've influenced you to do good and purchase one. And maybe then we'll be having positive uh, change in our community. Maybe then APM will be, you know, enforcing this positive, a positive change. We'll be actually contributing positively to the community in some way. Yes. Change the world. Get a rice cooker. (laughs) Save the environment. You are listening to Asian Pop Nation on Sin, where we just talked all about stir-fried rocks and rice cookers. Do they have correlation? Um, yes, in the sense that, uh, they're all related to food, I guess. Um, but would you guys eat stir-fried rocks? And I say eat in quotation marks because you cannot actually eat it. And do you own a rice cooker? Because if you don't, get one. It is necessary, it is great, it makes your life so much easier. If you have a toaster, you should have a rice cooker. That is our conclusion to this entire segment. Welcome back to Asian Pop Nation on Sin, where you just heard a couple of pretty mellow tracks including Promise by Lawfi, who has also recently announced the release of her upcoming album, Bewitched in September. So you all have that to look forward to. You guys also heard Juliet by Alexa, and this song actually has quite a few remix versions, including a Spanish one, so you guys should definitely check that out if you're interested. Although it has unfortunately come to the end of our show, we can always reminisce about what we talked about today with me, Tracy, Azenia, Leisha, Lee, and Theroruki. 
We started off the show hot by spilling some tea about Jocelyn Chia's beef with Malaysia and then moved on to the infamy of Netflix for butchering live actions and potentially continuing that trend with upcoming live action adaptations of Avatar, The Last Airbender and One Piece. And finally, we ended the show with some recent food trends across China and Australia, including white people food, stir-fried rocks and the necessity of a rice cooker. 